that feel comes from sweat and dirt, just being in the field, doing things, trying things, and paying attention to it, not just going through the motions, like there's nothing to be learned from this. Welcome to Pro Tradecraft's Career Toolbox. I'm Fernando Pajes, and I'm here to help you turn your day job into a career. When I looked up our guest's resume online, I found it states that Jay Crandall, a professional engineer, has over 19 years experience of research, construction, and engineering. It should say well over 19 years, since I met Jay about 20 years ago and he was a hotshot building science and engineering whiz by then. What's true in his bio is that Jay has extensive knowledge and experience in a variety of materials and methods, including many innovative technologies for construction, which he has helped pioneer. Among them, shallow frost protected foundations, something I worked with him on, hurricane codes, earthquake codes, steel framing codes, cost effective wood framing, like the 24 inch on center framing, and most recently, extensive work on continuous exterior insulation. In short, he knows it all and has focused his research and engineering on housing, which is very special for us in the home building and remodeling industry. One of my favorite research projects that Jay undertook has to do with the history of wood construction in the USA. In this little book that he wrote, which you can find online, it revealed where we got our 16-inch on center module for laying out studs and wood framing. Hint, it has nothing to do with structure. I'll ask him about it. I wanted to focus this interview on what folks in the trade should know about structure as basic construction literacy. But Jay, he has another idea. He's more interested in talking about the reverse. What engineers and designers should know and have experienced about hands-on building. So looking forward to learning something new, as I always do when I talk to Jay, I introduce you all to my old friend and counselor, Jay Crandall, professional engineer and excellent human being. Jay, welcome to Pro Tradecraft's Career Toolbox. Thank you, Fernando. I, I appreciate the invitation and really look forward to our discussion today. You're a structural engineer that specialized in uh, wood construction, in residential construction. This is an odd specialty. Most engineers of your caliber focus on like high-rise buildings and large infrastructure projects like bridges or nuclear power plants. What in Blazes appeals to you about housing? Well, I think that, you know, there are a number of things at, at many different levels. And uh, it's certainly I didn't get in there. Uh, I didn't get into to this type of work because I was seeking popularity. And, uh, you know, I, I do recognize, you know, when, when you go into the field of engineering, people are thinking about nuclear power plants and bridges and high-rise buildings. And I have done some, you know, bridge design and some commercial building design. But I really find my route in working with wood. Uh, that's where I started in construction uh, with uh, wood construction, more, more from an infrastructure standpoint. But I also had a lot of uh, family connections in the home building realm. I had relatives that did that. I had relatives that built my parents' home. And my grandfather, uh, when he first started construction, became a carpenter in home building, built a lot of townhomes up in the Baltimore area. You know, he started that when he graduated from the sixth grade at the age of 12 and then started in that track and and uh, was very gifted at it. So I learned a lot of sort of old timey ways of doing things from him and just uh, got an appreciation for wood. And and frankly, uh, most buildings in the U.S. are built from wood. And uh, certainly that stands true for homes. So probably 98 percent are built from wood or at least parts of them from wood. So um 
I just had a very uh, natural interest in learning more about wood construction, and that kind of led me down the path of eventually engineering. You wrote a history of wood construction in the United States. You remember the name of it? I I, I often recommend it to to folks that have some nerdy kind of uh, interest in construction. <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun project, and it actually wasn't even a, a, a project. It was the offshoot of a project where we were doing a very technical piece of work. We were trying to look at how the safety, the structural safety and performance of housing, changed over the 20th century, 1900 to 2000, and we were in a very you know, sophisticated way uh, looking at how buildings uh, would perform from an analytical standpoint you know, for wind, earthquakes, and those types of things, but how housing practices and materials, even, you know, open space design, how that affect the structural capacity of buildings over that century, because it was feeding into basically a a study of what's the probability of a home becoming damaged or collapsing um, because of these changes. And it was a very interesting study at that level, but it was also a very practical level. We had to understand what had changed in the industry. So having that need for that data, for that purpose, sort of uh, generated the opportunity to write that document, which was a, a review of housing, uh, I forget the exact name of it, but housing construction materials and methods from 1900 to 2000, I think was close to the title of the document. But um, it really is kind of amazing how uh, things have changed, uh, and they have significant impacts that oftentimes are overlooked on how the building performs. And so, you know, the industry, is a, it, as it adapts to new materials and new uh, design objectives for how people want to live in their homes, it has other effects that need to be considered from, you know, either a building code or a construction practice or a design practice standpoint. The unintended consequences. Exactly. And we don't like unintended consequences. Usually somebody ends up paying for that and we want to avoid those issues and and make sure our codes are keeping up to date. Um, and uh, the building industry as well is aware of these things and uh, keeping up to date. Now, one of the things I got a charge out of reading your uh, this, this this history of, con- of wood construction in the United States was a little aside about concrete foundations and how, you know, the, the building industry is notoriously slow at adopting any new building materials or methods. And one of the things that had a difficult time getting into a building practice was concrete foundations. <laughs> and I read the quotes of the, of the builders saying, I'd never put that under one of my houses. Uh, and I thought that was very funny. It is. I mean, and it's it, the same thing goes on today. Um, and so at one point in time, concrete was a new material. And uh, maybe they didn't, you know, we didn't have concrete plants all across the country and consistency and standards for making sure you had the right mix and good guidance for how to install it. So people were skeptical of it. And it was, you know, different than doing, you know, just sort of a masonry foundation. In fact, the whole idea of using a concrete footing uh, was was new at some point in time. <laughs> and uh, people were concerned about that. But uh, you can see over the course of the century now, you know, concrete footings are are pretty much it everywhere. Although you, you still can use things like a, a gravel footing and, and some construction technologies like uh, permanent wood foundations actually still use the traditional more than 100-year-old wood sill, although it's treated now, 
on a gravel footing. And the funny thing is, is now everybody's skeptical of that because it's not the mainstream practice. But it, but it was, it, yeah. It's got the oldest history of anything. Where did 16 on center framing module come from? Now you're, now you're kind of pulling back into my cobwebs a little bit. Um, you know, I think, I think it was when you look at lath and plaster and some of the old finishes, even today, some of the cladding materials we have are all, all based on working with a 16 inch on center framing. And so it was based on uh, the practices that were done for finishes at the time and uh, just sort of became the de facto standard when construction first came about. But 24-inch on center framing, advanced framing, some of these things that aren't used commonly in the industry, they've been around for at least a century as well. In the the early 1900s, Sears and Roebuck was providing two kit home offerings to the marketplace back in the day when when Sears and Robux were were into housing. You could order your home on a rail car, basically shipped from Sears, and they had two offerings. One they would call standard built. That was actually 24-inch on center framing construction. And the other was called quality built, 16-inch on center framing construction. So that kind of has stuck over time, and, and I think the 24-inch on center framing, as good as it is when it's done right, still has this idea that, well, that's just kind of blow a quality home. And so there are pressures against uh, doing anything but 16-inch on center because people misunderstand um, the significance or the different, you know, what the real differences are between a 24-inch on center framing and 16, for example. But it originally started as backing for lath and plaster. So in other words, if you want to build with lath and plaster, use 16 on center. But if you want to use drywall, 24. <laughs> it may yeah. work just fine. Right. And drywall really didn't start to pick up until the middle of the 1900s. You know, um, lath and plaster was, was pretty uh, common up through even the 1950s, and then it went to plasterboard, and then it went to the full gypsum sheathing panels. So I wanted to focus our conversation on basic engineering literacy for builders, but you took it in another direction. You want to talk about the importance of having hands-on construction experience for the engineers, a feel for structure. How did you come by it? How did you come by this idea? that it's important for an engineer or designer to actually have been nailing studs and mixing plaster. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, it starts for me, it started at a young age and not being afraid to work being at, you know, being that being an expectation uh, to work. You know, I started working construction when I was in middle school at about the age 14. Of course, I had done construction work before then, but it was more like chores, not actually a job. And, you know, I worked in summers through through college doing construction work. And in doing that, you just get a natural feel, not only for how things go together, uh, how they work, stuff you can't see in a textbook, stuff, you know, when when you create a temporary scaffolding and you use X many nails to hold it up, you get a feel for what will support the load or not. What a piece of lumber looks like or, you know, um, a piece of steel looks like that would support a given amount of load. You start to get a feel for what 
works and doesn't work. And when I found later was brought together with a theoretical understanding of how things work, both things leverage each other because the theory is not perfect either. It's not accurate. It might be safe, but it's not necessarily accurate. And you can make errors on a calculator just like you can make an error in driving a nail and construction. So the two together, more of a safeguard in preventing error, but that feel comes from sweat and dirt, just being in the field, doing things, trying things, and paying attention to it, not just going through the motions, like there's nothing to be learned from this. There's, there's things you can learn from, from everything you're doing, and that's particularly true of construction because there's just so much... Uh, variation um, in the way things are built and different materials that can be used, even different nails that can be used, techniques. uh, When you drive a nail this way, the lumber doesn't split. All of those things uh, help you not only be a good builder, but I found that they, they probably were the most important thing to prepare me to become an engineer. I had the good fortune of uh, working at the NHB Research Center, the National Association of Home Builders Research Center, and eventually became their Structures and Materials Director. But in that role, the feel I developed even became more informed because we were testing assemblies, testing whole walls, in fact, even um, testing whole buildings to see how they stand up to earthquakes or hurricanes and comparing that to what we analyzed and thought they would do. And when you have that kind of interaction going on between theory and experience or feel, it really creates a a full picture of not only engineering, but construction. So I I, I really uh, was fortunate to have some of those experiences. But ultimately, that all started right in the construction project. That's why you're a particularly construction-friendly engineer to work with. You kind of have a a sense and an empathy for for the job site. I'd love to know from you, as a professional structural engineer, what are some of the basic concepts that we, as builders, should know about structures if we pretend to construct safe homes and buildings? Yeah, you know, there's probably several things that could be considered basically important. And I think number one is you you brought up building science, uh, energy efficiency, and, and that all kind of relates to moisture control. And we should really be building structures to last. And uh, to do that, uh, particularly for wood framing and typical housing construction, uh, you need to protect it from moisture, whether that's coming from the interior because of uh, water vapor that humans give off and their activities give off um, and controlling that properly to protecting it from the outside, the weather, uh, with proper flashing and water-resistant barrier and cladding insulation. And these are, these are small details that can make a big difference, whether flashing is lapped correctly and often gets overlooked. But if those are wrong, then it will eventually impact the structure, causing it to degrade, either rot or, or mold or other things. So I, I think durability has been something that has been lost in the trades and it's fine little details it's the guy out there installing the flashing tape or um, installing the wrap over the structure is extremely important to get those things right or everything that was invested in the the structure would be open to harm from from water water is sort of the enemy of of wood construction 
So that's number one for me is protect the structure. Once you've done that, then the rest of it's pretty, pretty straightforward, really. I mean, using good lumber, following the plan, following the building code. It's a, that's a fairly old uh, traditional craft that hasn't changed a whole lot. The only place it has changed in particular would be, you know, some of the materials you can use like eye joists. But again, we're relying on in the field, either a plan that's been designed or you look up in the code and you make sure you get the right size joist. Where, where it gets a little complicated is with hurricane and earthquake loads. A lot of people don't understand they understand a, a gravity load, like a person standing on a floor, and, and the floor has to be able to support that person and take that load down through a beam or a column and then eventually to the footing and into the ground. A lot of people can can see that. But in, but in an earthquake or hurricane, uh, you, you've got a sideways load on the entire building going on. And so the walls will want to rack in the plane of the wall. And it's those walls the exterior walls in particular that need to be braced so that they don't rack um and uh you know so traditionally years ago a lead-in brace you know at your corners of your building an angled brace um, and folks that have built those will understand you don't have a lead-in brace you can kind of push that building and make it sway but you put a lead-in brace in and all of a sudden it's rigid it doesn't sway and uh the next step up from that was then the use of board sheathing, and particularly if it's put in at an angle, and that, that was done through, um, you know, the, again, the middle of the 1900s, and then after that, plywood came out. Now, plywood, a panel product, when you nail it around its perimeter to a wood frame wall, that panel becomes a rigid brace to that wall, and so um, having a sufficient amount of bracing based on the building size, the wind zone you're in, the earthquake zone you're in um, is important. Those are all design decisions that all um, rely on following the code. So if you want to have a good structure, the code is your friend. Re read it and use it. And if you don't understand it, seek to get answers from trusted sources. And if you're entering into types of structures or conditions like a lot of windows, where you don't have much room for bracing and you're sort of beyond the code, then, then find a good structural engineer to help you do something that meets the intent of the code. It's notable here since we were getting into the code that I think we're maybe the only or one of the few countries in the world where we have a home building business that's separate and apart from the design side, you know, from architecture and mm -hmm. engineering. And because of that, we have a code that's prescriptive. That means it tells you what to do versus a design code. A design code gives you formulas, right? But the prescriptive code tells you how many nails to put in that situation, what size board to use in that situation. It tells you exactly how to do it. And that's our international residential code, a special code that allows a builder to go out and build a home without the benefit of a structural engineer. Correct, and that tradition has carried forward, and I hope it, it never goes away. And, and in fact, you know, uh, someone in the construction industry, like myself, I was at some point, you may think, why am I here? What, what am I gonna get out of this? That skill and trade that you develop will carry with you for your entire life, even if you move into some other 
vocation or uh, career, if you want to call it that. So in my case, uh, you know, that construction knowledge I gained, even though I, I moved into the field of engineering, I used that to build my, my second home and was able to sell that and actually make a profit while I was, was still trying to get the engineering career going. And then I built my third home and sold that. And so that construction experience, I was using that for the benefit of my family and for other tradespeople that I was hiring to work with me on those building projects. And I was also making money while I was pursuing another career. And I also always had that to fall back on. It's, it's sort of a comforting feeling to know that, hey, if engineering goes bad or this doesn't work out for me, I've got a skill that's useful. It's always going to be needed. And I can always go back and find good work in the construction field should I need to, to do that. Jay, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Pro Craft Career Toolbox. Really appreciate your wise and very kind advice and your wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> Thanks, Fernando. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, lots of fun. Okay, be well. We'll talk again. All right, thank you. I really appreciate uh, Jay's take on engineering and on life. Homework, what's the takeaway? What should you do next? Well, if I were you, and I am because I came up in the trades, I would do a little bit of study. I would do a little bit of reading. Jay recommends reading the building code. I do too. It's not exactly a page turner, but that knowledge is not only power, it also makes your work more interesting when you know not only what you're doing, but why you're doing it. There's also a lot of good resources right here on Pro Tradecraft. There's various videos about building science, and, uh, and those videos are, are, are very good because they explore some of the physics of um, construction and some of the physics of, of uh, uh, durability and you know how things work. It's interesting stuff. It's fun stuff. There's also a series called Weatherization Nation. And it's very good because it gets into the nuts and bolts of some of what Jay was talking about, like um, you know how to properly apply a flashing and why. So if you just make a habit of checking out some of the videos, some of the resources right here, even on this website, I think you're going to find that not only has your um, not only will you be more informed, but you'll also be more interested and engaged in what you're doing. And that's the key to a happy life, is a life that you're fully living, that you're fully engaged in. Career Toolbox is a production of SGC Horizon Media Network. I'm your host, Fernando Pajes, and the show is produced by Dan Morrison.